Pat, three straight first downs, 42 yards total. Maine hasn't had the ball yet. They're inside the 30. Christensen on a hand, it's a reverse. Brodell has it down inside the 10 and inside the five-yard line for Andy Brodell. Lionel Dixon made the stop to save six. That's exactly what you got to do. They've gotten a steady dose of the big tailback green. Now you sneak Brodell. Hawkeye's doing a great job executing right here, faking the tailback up the middle, getting the reverse around of the explosive Andy Brodell. Nearly had a touchdown there. Nice job by DJK trying to get a block in the 15. Daryl Johnson to the honest. Fourth and goal from inside the one. Brett Morris, the fullback. Sean Green inside. Cuts left. And he's in. Lost his helmet, but it has a touchdown. Sean Green back after a year away. The junior put six on the board for the Hawkeyes. Sean Green refused to be denied on that run like there. you got to like the aggressive on that touchdown carry. Fourth and goal. They give it to the big tailback. Off left tackle. Able to rumble his way into the end zone. They're on a 49-yard drive, all on the ground, nine carries. Packy O'Mara behind Brett Morris from the one, and he's in easily. Wide up. You could drive a truck through that one. 31-3 Iowa. That looked nice and easy right there for the Hawkeyes, and now that they're big guys up front, are starting to lean on that defensive line from Maine over and over again. The dominance in the running game for the Hawkeyes being established here in the fourth quarter. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the weekly football show from HawkeyesMike.com. Last Saturday's game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network, Mike Crispino, former Hawkeye defensive star Anthony Heron, and J.B. Long. We very much appreciate it and thank them. From the 20, and a lot of room there. Breaking tackles and headed to the corner of the end zone. Jewel Hampton. They've got the freshman on the field right here. Jewel Hampton, the Iowa running back. First carry of his career goes all the way for a touchdown. The freshman from Indianapolis takes his first carry as a Hawkeye and gets into the end zone. So on fourth and six, they won't try to kick a field goal. They'll run a play, and Ricky Stanzi. And a motion to Marco Payne. And here's Hampton. He breaks two tackles, and he's in the end zone. Jewel Hampton has scored twice in the second half. How about this true freshman from Indianapolis? This guy has been elected today with the football in his hands. A touchdown by Hampton. He scored on his very first carry on the college level. And he runs this one in from inside the 20-yard line on a fourth and six. The Iowa Hawkeyes football team opened the 2008 season by dominating an overmatched Maine Black Bears team, winning 46-3 on a sunsplash Saturday afternoon at Kinnick Stadium. Hopefully this win begins the process of erasing the bad taste left in everyone's mouths from last season in general and the very ugly 2007 season-ending loss to Western Michigan, which cost the Hawks a bull bit. Despite a lack of many big plays, the offense looked respectable and actually scored a touchdown on its opening drive, something they hadn't done in over two years. The Hawks rediscovered a strong running game last Saturday featuring three running backs, including the return of Sean Green, who rushed for more than 100 yards, and the debut of true freshman Jewel Hampton, who dazzled the crowd with a second half running, including a touchdown run on his first play from the line of scrimmage. As promised, coach Kirk Ferentz split the quarterback time evenly between last year's much maligned starter Jake Christensen and sophomore Rick Stanzi. Jake struggled some in the first half, played better in the second, more of the good Jake, bad Jake that fans saw too much of last year. Stanzi demonstrated a head 
heads-up play, a good pocket presence, and a nice passing touch. In the final analysis, though, neither QB dominated, though both played a solid game. According to Ference, the quarterback competition is expected to continue until one of the two clearly takes control. While Christensen appears not to appreciate that fact, even though he's nominally the starter, Ference very pointedly said he's worried about keeping himself happy rather than others, that every position is about competition, and that jobs get decided on the field. In the past, some fans have grumbled that that's not always appeared to be the case, so they should be reassured by those kinds of comments coming from the coaching staff. Given the new time clock rules, the offensive game management appeared to be very solid, both by coaches and the players. Overall, the offense sustained drives and looked like it was playing with a good rhythm, things that were often missing in 2007. And they had 457 total yards, more than they gained in any single game last year. And although only turning in one sack and initially struggling some to control Maine's running tack from its spread formation, the defense was dominant, ultimately surrendering only a single field goal, which came at the end of the first half. Meantime, special teams were solid, as was the kicking game. And given all the problems last year, both on and off the field. Perhaps the best news coming out of this game was that there were no injuries and that several key players held out last Saturday are likely to return in the next two weeks. One other note, seven true freshmen played in Saturday's opener following last season when Ference played 11 true freshmen, so it looks like this new trend is continuing. Remember, however, this was just the opening game of the season. Maine is probably the weakest team the Hawks will play all year, so let's see how things unfold over the next few weeks there's certainly lots of room for improvement. In terms of non-game activity, a new video introduction preceding the team's interest was unveiled, which had great production values and got the crowd really going, a big improvement over the past. On the other side of the coin, that same lame entrance of Herky was used. There has to be a better alternative than having the Herc carried onto the field by male cheerleaders. Come on, Hawk fans, give us some suggestions and we can pass them on to the athletic department. Also, it was Varsity Day at Kinnick. Special congratulations to our own Mark. Cook for his induction into the National Iowa Varsity Club Athletics Hall of Fame, along with five others, including former men's basketball coach Tom Davis, who received a prolonged and loud standing ovation from the crowd when he was introduced at halftime. It's Iowa's 20th Hall of Fame class. Last year in the red zone, Iowa 30 of 38, 23 touchdowns, and they've scored once today. Here they are, third and goal from the four. Christensen steps back, looks over the field, rolls to his left, has a man open, and he's got him for a touchdown. Brandon Myers. So with time to throw, Christensen rolled to his left, found Brandon Myers, and it's 13-0 Iowa. And you see Brandon Myers in the lineup here because Tony Moriaki is going to be out the first couple of games for the Hawkeyes. They're excited about Moriaki, think he's going to be a great player, but not a big drop-off there to Brandon Myers in the game for him. Nice route, gets the touchdown catch after Jake bought a little bit of time for himself. Here's Christensen back to pass, got time, throws down the middle, has a man intercepted! And into the end zone, Brandon McLaughlin stops that drive. McLaughlin was on the coverage of Paul Cheney Jr. And Christensen's pass was labeled right into the DB's hands. And he really had time to throw. Actually threw the ball on time, but just underthrew the receiver. Paul Cheney Jr. wide open on that play. Just needs to float the ball a little bit more, kind of like he did earlier in the game. Bad decision there from Jake to try to get it on a line right there. A nice play from McLaughlin to come up with the interception. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefence. 
the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefence.com. Last Saturday's game saw Iowa improve its record in season opening games to 87-31-2, including an 8-2 mark under coach Kirk Ferentz. It was the first ever meeting between Iowa and Maine, a team formerly coached by Ferentz. The Hawks have now won 33 of their last 40 games in Kinnick, dating back to the 2002 season. Iowa started the game on offense as Maine won the toss and deferred. Iowa has now started on offense in 93 of its last 105 contests and have started the game on offense in 95 of 111 games under coach Kirk Ferentz. Iowa had a safety, which was the first by its defense since a bad snap went out of the end zone at Purdue in October of 2005. Looking at some of the key team statistics, the Hawks had 27 first downs, 15 of them by rushing. They had 245 yards net rushing, 212 passing, fairly balanced attack. Total offensive yards, 457. They were 4 of 13 on third down conversions, 3 of 4 on fourth down conversions, 7 of 8 in the red zone. Great story. Compelling and rich. These football programs come to you weekly during the entire football season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions, as well as our occasional feature on officiating and the rules. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Next up, let's hear from the coaches. First, Kirk Ferentz talks about the game against Maine. You know, it was, it was a, you know, a good start Saturday, certainly, and just a couple points of interest. Uh, first of all, I thought uh, the fan turnout was great, and we're very appreciative of that. You know, it was a uh, holiday weekend. Uh, certainly, Maine didn't travel a lot of folks, and uh, you know, I think with all the challenges our, our, our fans have been through this past year, uh, you know, it was very, uh, very much appreciated. Uh, you know, I think it was a good start overall. We certainly have a lot to work on right now, and that, that's what this week will be uh, important for. Kirk also previews the game against Florida International. Just a couple words about uh, Florida International. It's really the second year of their program. It's a relatively new program overall, and Coach Cristobal's been there. Uh, uh, this is only his second year, and you know, I think uh, what we've seen, in two, you know, uh, based on one game, you know, based on film from last year, and then what we saw in their opener, uh, they look like a more mature team, a, a more developed team. Uh, they played hard and played with good effort last year, and I think they're just a better team physically now than they were. And uh, staff-wise, you know, defensively they haven't changed much. Uh, pretty much uh, matching with what you, you saw last year, what you'd expect. And then offensively, they've got a little bit of a Purdue flavor with uh, Coach Leg being there. He had been at uh, Purdue the last several years, and uh, I think you can see that influence uh, with him taking over the offense down there. So our, our, our task right now is to get ready. Uh, uh, during the week, you know, I don't think we have a great, great week of practice last week. I think that showed up a little bit. Uh, you know, overall our operation was good Saturday, but uh, a lot of things that we need to get better at, and I think that's that's probably the biggest focus for us right now. See if we can't have a better week during the week this week, so uh, we play a little sharper on Saturday. Kirk talks about what the quarterbacks have to do to win the job. I mean, the good news is right now both of them are, are doing a good job, and. Uh, Make that point especially clear, clear with Jake. You know, I think he's a he's a better player than he was a year ago, which you would hope, and I hope that's true of all of our guys that were with us last year. Um, and the major difference is, you know, Rick's a factor now, whereas uh, a year ago he really really wasn't. You know, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but he just wasn't. Um, 
he really wasn't in the mix, and you know he's he's uh, he's come on. So it's we, we've gone from you know having one quarterback to I think now two, and uh, you know, clearly both guys are better than they were a year ago. That's a good thing. But we have a couple positions like that. Middle linebackers a little bit like that. You know the will position could be like that with Tarp. You know Tarpinian back is. You know I'd be curious to see what he does this week and if that if that ramps up a little bit. And uh, you know we still have some things going on in the secondary. So but the good the good news is I think overall you know we have competition and you know we've had situations times uh, where we haven't had that. You know one guy's kind of been been there and nobody else has been involved at all. Kirk was asked about the game administration and play calling given the new offensive clock rules. Saturday we done time. I'm sure at some point we will. You know if you probably the biggest thing I can think of is a long completion in the passing game. You know you better get down there and get get set, especially if you're a team that huddles like we are. Uh, you know, and again our our staff reaction initially was we thought 45 seconds might be better since we don't have a helmet transmitter like they do in the NFL, but it didn't seem to be a big problem. Uh, we got caught on the clock once and. Uh, I guess my only request at this point, you know, I'm ready to say, Uncle, I just hope we settle into whatever it is we're doing. I thought we had a pretty good game about eight years ago, and you know, it seems like we've been tinkering, not every year since then, but the last couple of years, it seems like the rules change every year. So it'd be really great if we could just kind of settle into who we are, what we are, and, and then go with it and you know, get everybody on the same page. Ference talks about how much they really learned by playing a game against a team like Maine, which was overmatched. You know, I think you learn something every time you're with your team, in, in all circumstances. I mean, it may sound ridiculous, but just making the trip up to the hotel, can everybody get dressed right, you know, properly, all that. Just, you know, be on time for meetings, all those kinds of things. So, you know, with the guys like, you know, Kroll, King, and Eads, you don't worry too much about those kinds of things. But then, we, you know, we had a lot of guys that were in high school four months ago, three months ago, you know, on, on the bus and... You know, who knows what they're going to do. So, you know, it's it's a good process for us. And then the game operation, you know, we've had some trouble. Not a lot, but we've had trouble substitutions, uh, you know, special team substitutions, things like that. So just, you know, anytime you're you're involved in a process, you know, it's, it's a learning experience. And you never know what's going to happen in the game either. I mean, you know, we've been involved uh, fairly recently with games where, you know, everybody thought we knew what the outcome was going to be, and it didn't turn out that way. So there were a couple of them this weekend. So, I mean, it's just part of football. You know, we're not assuming anything, and uh, every every uh, opportunity we have is an opportunity to do something well or do something poorly. Hopefully we'll do it well. Ference addresses the areas of concern against Maine that might have been overlooked by fans. If there were, I probably wouldn't share them. But I, I think, you know, just basically uh, – uh, just our operation, our, our whole mode of operation last week was okay. You know, it wasn't great. And that that's you know, if, if we're gonna develop into a good football team, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to pick up the pace a little bit. But that, that being said, positive is there we had a real good camp. So I don't know if it was the first week of school phenomena or whatever it was, but uh, hopefully we can we can pick up the pace a little bit this week. Ferentz praised the Iowa fans for continuing to support this team through thick and thin. Yeah, I go back to my first year here. In, in 81, my first time to walk out there, it was sold out, and we had had 19 straight losing seasons. So that was my first taste of uh, the loyalty and uh, support that our fans have given us. But um, and we had pretty good crowds all through the 80s, but it's never never been anything I've taken for granted. Uh, we weren't selling out 10 years ago, and uh, you know we've got a nice string going right now. And uh, A, I hope nobody thinks that's automatic, and, and B, uh, particularly in these times, particularly in our last performance last year. Uh, that, that's the taste that we left uh, last time our fans saw us play. We didn't play very well, quite frankly. And uh, then, you know, we've got all these uh, 
uh, challenges in the state with you know tornadoes, weather problems, all those kinds of things. So I believe everybody in this program realizes you know fans have other things to do with their time and money, and we're really appreciative of them being supportive of our team. Kirk also addressed the running game. It was a, a, gr- a good day for Sean in that you know he needed to play in a game. He's done a good job in camp. Uh, he's a little bit behind the rest of the crew, and so that was good for him, and it, it, it taxed him pretty well. And hopefully we'll just keep building. His attitude's been great. His work ethic's been great. So I have no reason to think that it won't. As I said last week, I think Pacquiao Amir is one of our more improved players, too, on the football team. I think he showed some things Saturday that maybe we didn't see last spring. And, uh, you know, Hampton got off to a good start, so uh, hopefully we can keep him going the right direction, too. Florida international coach Mario Cristobal focuses this week on the unique challenges of a relatively new college football program and what FIU faces in trying to build up its program basically from scratch. You know, I think it's real similar to the challenges that uh, that was faced when I went up with Greg Shiano to Rutgers in 2000. And it was, uh, what makes it a little bit different is Rutgers have been around for a long, long time. FIU is relatively new and made the jump to Division One. Uh, a little over a year ago and what happened is all of a sudden you got to revamp everything from the culture to the regimen the work ethic everything else and again you got to bring in what you feel is right what you've done at Rutgers what you've done at Miami um, and that's all positive and great um, but you do have to bring in talent you have to up of course what you have in terms of caliber players especially up front because uh, what you'll see in in lower Division One schools, I think the biggest difference you'll find between them and the, and the upper Division One schools is uh, the quality of offensive and defensive line for the big guys up front. And um, one thing's for certain, uh, we're, we're in such a great recruiting area, um, and the support around here is enormous that we knew it's only a matter of time before this place really takes off. So, you know, I, I don't think the challenges are any different than what anybody else faces. I just think that our ability to ramp up quickly uh, is going to be a lot better than most places around the country. Cristobal talks about how recruits respond and the brand recognition of the FIU program. They're responding great. You know, they know where we came from. They know that most of our staff is at the University of Miami. Other parts of uh, our staff members were at South Florida or at LSU or in the NFL or at Purdue or at Rutgers. So they know us. They know the reputation of the men we have on staff. And they're great men besides being great football coaches. And you know, for a long time down here, and especially in South Florida, the buzz was, you know, when is FIU going to commit itself to becoming a big-time program? And what we've invested, you know, I can't say how much, in a brand-new stadium, a new facility, and everything else that goes with becoming a Premier Division One program. Now it's a matter of recruiting and developing, and uh, we're certainly heading that direction, heading that direction fast. So, I, it, again, for kids down here in South Florida, because there is such a plethora of, of great football players, it's been, it's been a great response. Cristobal was asked whether recruiting budgets are out of control. Well, I think that uh, what people are realizing, just like in in any business, that uh, recruiting is the lifeline of anything, of any program, of any business. And I think that, again, investing in recruiting is smart. You know, it really is. Now, of course, there's a point in time where you have to cap things off, just like you do in any business. I don't know exactly what that number is, but I do know one thing, the importance of recruiting uh, it, uh, it cannot be underplayed because it really is that important. Cristobal also talked about the possibility of moving up the signing date or having an early signing period. Well, I think, uh, I think it can for a little bit, but I think all you're doing is just changing the calendar of the cycle. What I think it does do, and I think what we're seeing now in college football, there is a lot more parity. Uh, there's no longer the one upset every five or six weeks or so. Now you're seeing five or six upsets a week. And what's happening is, is again, the smaller schools 
are recruiting and developing at the highest level. And I think if you move up that signing day, I think it helps the smaller schools and will increase um, the amount of parity that you see in college football because some of the bigger schools have to make other decisions and some of the smaller schools that are hanging on to some great commitments will not get poached in that latter part of January like it does every single year. So I think it'd be a great thing for college football. HawkeyesMike.com, something new. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Marv, welcome year two. Before Saturday's game, what did you expect to see from the Hawks? What were your predictions for the season? Going in kind of with the idea that it's just going to take a wait-and-see approach, you know, and uh just kind of following up on the last couple seasons, just kind of seeing where they're at with these new recruits and uh, seeing what kind of mentality they come out with, what kind of mindset they come out with. And, uh, you know, wholeheartedly just kind of wait and see, I guess, is the attitude that I've had as far as how good I think the Hawks will be this year. What did you actually see, positive and negative? Uh, I guess from a positive standpoint, one, first and foremost, how great a fan base we have. Great to see a full stadium. It was a beautiful day, obviously, but that, that's always exciting, and I know it's exciting for, as a player to be able to play in front of a packed house. Two, we're developing more depth, you know. I mean, uh, Coach Ferentz probably by, by design has, has got a couple guys listed as co-starters at some positions. You know, the kicking position, he played multiple players. The quarterback position, he played multiple players. I think competition is always a good thing, especially in these early games, to kind of see who will take, step up and take the team over and, and kind of make it their position. So I think that's always a good thing. And so there was there was a lot of positives. You know, the, probably the negatives, just to be perfectly negative, but, you know, it was, it was Maine, a Division II school, and, and, you know, you'd like to see more than 16 or 17 points on the board late in the second quarter. But, but uh, you know, I mean, I thought it was very workmanlike. I thought the Hawks did exactly what they needed to do to win the game. And I thought we saw some signs of some pretty good players. Any surprises? You know, no surprises really. I mean, I thought the kicking game looked pretty sharp for the most part. You know, took care of business from that standpoint. But uh, I really liked the way that you know they were kicking the ball high and and really coming off the foot pretty powerfully. So uh, I like that. Just like the idea that the you know the offense was able to get some rhythm at times and do some things. You know, defense I thought represented itself well again. Uh, but it, you know, it, it really is one of those hard to gauge. You know, just trying to figure out exactly how good Maine is right now is hard to tell. In a season opener like this, especially against a, an outman team like Maine, is it probably more reasonable to analyze some of the individual performances rather than making any early judgments about the team as a whole? I think that's exactly right. I think the one thing that you really, the coaches will be doing is really looking at technique, really looking at who executed, who made the right decisions, you know, if the timing was right, if, if they broke mental, you know, had mental breakups as far as uh, you know, bad decisions, running routes or uh, run blocking assignments, things like that. That's what they're going to be looking for and trying to clean up. You know, effort will be another thing that they'll be evaluating really closely. You know, and then who's trying to make plays? Who's making plays for your offense or defense? And those are the things that at this level of football, you know, you got to find playmakers and you got to find guys that will create turnovers, uh, get interceptions for you, or, or, you know, can score the you know, touchdown if they catch the ball. Do you feel better coming out of this opener against Maine compared to last year's against Northern Illinois? 
probably it's harder to say because Northern Illinois last year I felt was a really good football team and had a chance to be a really good football team where you know this is just I think a little bit lower caliber of, of a team that we face this Saturday and you know it's, it's just really hard to gauge I mean you just want to make sure you're going out and taking care of what you need to take care of like I said and from a coaching standpoint they're probably just it's really good chance for them to evaluate you know I wouldn't call it a glorified spring game because obviously this is a serious game and it counts and everything so it, you know but it was a great chance to really evaluate a lot of different players and, and uh, go deep in the depth chart and and really kind of get a look at everybody. As a coach, would you be satisfied with this performance for an opening game? I think as a coach, you're, you're never satisfied. I mean, you always want to try to strive for the perfect game, and that's probably that's an, that's an impossibility. I mean, it's just you're never going to have that. But So you're always going to be looking for ways to improve and, and areas to get better. You know, like I said, the one thing that I personally would like to see is just more big plays, more explosion-type plays, you know, plays that change the complexion of the game, seeing some explosion in the offense. But that, that's probably the only thing that was really missing for the most part. But everything else I thought was pretty sharp. Let's focus on the offense a bit. It's been a long time since Iowa actually scored a touchdown in its first possession of a game. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a trademark that they had when, when Brad Banks and that, that group was here. That was an amazing statistic. I remember I was calling the games and it was it was phenomenal that like eight of nine or 10 of 11 games they scored in the first possession. And that was, uh, I think Coach Ferentz's philosophy was always to get the ball first. And, you know, if you can jump up like that, that's, that's so, so big from a, a game management standpoint. Uh, that was a great thing to see. You know, I know Coach O'Keefe scripts plays, uh, is looking for sequences, looking for uh, any advantage you can get with motions and things like that. So obviously it was able to work out on Saturday and they were able to take advantage of it. Comment on the running backs. You know, it's, it's good to see. I mean, it's good to see uh, Sean Green back. It's always good when, you know, a player has to go away, but then he's able to come back and be a hawk again and, and uh, clean things up. A good sign of a football team is if you have a depth at running back, and, and what I thought we might not have, it looks like we might be seeing some of that. I mean, I thought, you know, there was three or four guys in there that were able to do some, some pretty effective things and show some spark. So what I thought might be a, a negative for the Hawks this year, actually Saturday kind of looked like it might actually be a positive for them quarterback competition? Two similar but yet different styles almost. I mean, it's kind of, you know, they're running a similar offense, but they got a couple different ways of doing it. I mean, I think uh, uh, Rick looks like more of a the prototypical quarterback, tall and lean, you know, linear. You know, looks like he might have a you know a little bit higher release. And, uh, you know, Jake's probably got a little bit more experience in the pocket and, and, and a feel for the game. And his decisions are probably coming a little bit quicker than Rick's right now. But, you know, but I, I just think it's great to be able to have two or three guys that you can put into that position and feel comfortable with. And, and anytime you can get your second string guy or your 1B guy, quality reps in a game like that is just going to help you down the road because you, you hope they stay injury free the whole season, but that's kind of getting to be rare. You know, if ever in the course of a game, if someone's struggling, if you have another guy that you can come in and just change the pace of the game a little bit, that's always a positive. So I think it's a great thing that they were able to get those two guys some experience. As a former tight end, what'd you think of the receivers on Saturday? You know, got to get some of those guys healthy. You know, I mean, obviously with Moiaki down and, and, and Strauss being nicked up and Brodell being nicked up a little bit, I mean, that, that's, you know, three of your most productive guys. I mean, you got you want to get those guys healthy and, and get them back in the mix. Uh, you know, and that's, but, you know, I remember my senior year, I was hurt for three and a half games and, and Tom Ward came in and caught like six, seven balls in the in the Colorado game. So you talk about making a guy want to get healthy real quick. I mean, that's the greatest thing that can happen is these young guys step up, get in there, get their reps and, and make plays for the Hawks. In the offensive line? Truly is hard to say because I think that um, they, they probably see better talent and practice every single day than they, they saw Saturday. I know there was a couple talented players for, for Maine, but you know it was probably for them a pretty much a glorified practice. So I expected them to be very effective, very dominant up front, and, and we saw signs of that. 
With the new clock rules, I thought Iowa handled the clock and play calling fairly well. Yeah, I think it's, it's imperative that the sideline management is very efficient and obviously it showed that they worked on it, that they had addressed it uh, in the preseason. So, I mean, it is an issue that uh, staffs need to be cognizant of and I think Iowa showed that they, they were ready to handle it. Now, as it, you know, as it gets into more, where third downs become more critical uh, and it's a closer game, I mean, whether that, that same process holds up will be the key, but because I know that have a tendency to any play in the playbook will probably work on third and five against a main team. It's a lot easier than when you're pulling out a third and five play against a Wisconsin that you're not sure if all your selections will work. So, uh, it, you know, that's just something to have to play itself out over the next uh, three, four weeks. But I thought Saturday they managed it extremely well. In this game, given the breakdown between running and passing, the tendency to run a little more, do you think that's just a product of the competition from game to game, or is that getting closer to what Ference and the Iowa staff might really be striving for? It's probably the, if, you know, scratch where it itches a little bit mentality of, you know, what's working, let's just work on what's working, let's, you know, and then if you get up 15, 20, 25 points, then maybe start working some of the other areas of your game you want to work. But I just know from a coaching standpoint, a win is a win is a win. That's what they need to, to make sure that they come out Saturday with a win, and that's exactly what they did is they just focused on it and did what they had to do to win. Assess what you saw from the defense. I see a I see prototypical Iowa defense thus far. I mean, a lot of you know a, a group, eleven guys. You know, or I think a lot of times as a staff, you you, you don't want to take your you, you don't want to take your eleven best individual players. You want to take your best eleven. You know, the best group that work together as a team that are in the right spots. If you're in cover two and you're blitzing, someone's got to be you know filling that that hook zone, and you want to find the right eleven that are mixing together. And you know that's kind of what I think we saw. I mean, obviously, I think uh, you know King inside and, and Kroll inside are going to be the heart and soul of that defense to start, but yet you want to start seeing some of these linebackers, Eads made some plays, Anger made some plays, and you're going to start seeing those guys kind of pick up their intensity a little bit, and then the cover guys, more and more teams are going to the spread, so our corners and safeties are going to be tested more than ever, and uh, you know we're really going to have to be tough on the back end with some of these offenses we're going to be facing. I thought the special teams performance in the kicking game was more solid. First and foremost, snappers are, are critical in the, the timing of the kicks, but just watching the kickers kick, I mean, I really felt like the ball was coming off their foot extremely well. Daniel Murray did a nice job on kickoff. Both did a nice job on their field goal attempts. That's critical. I mean, you're going to be, there's going to be one and two and three point games and, and field goals are going to be paramount, so extra points. So, so that's good to see. And the punting game is, is going to have to be a situation where a lot of times we're going to be fighting the field position battle and we need to win that with, with good high punts, fair catches, things like that. Continue to see improvement in those areas. Uh, but for the most part, I thought Saturday was a good, good first start. Comments on the Big Ten as a whole after the first week? You know, it's going to be the Big Ten. I mean, Michigan is going to struggle their way through the, this learning curve with trying to get the spread in up there. Obviously, that was a tough assignment for them playing Utah right out of the gate, but Ohio State now is facing the injury with their running back. I mean, it's a it's a long season. It should be more parity. I think, I think Ohio State obviously is the front runner right now. Illinois, you know, got beat by Missouri, but Missouri's a pretty good football team. So, I mean, there's, I think there's going to be, you know, Ohio State's probably probably the forefront favorite, but I think after that, there's probably five or six teams that can, that can contend for that second spot. Iowa made some changes and reassignments, actually has some fresh blood on the coaching staff. Did, did you notice any difference yet? Not really. I haven't seen anything other than 
the, the, new, the new situation is a little bit unique in that tight ends and, and receivers go together, but actually a lot of teams do that because then the tackles will go with the tight ends and work some inside run and some run blocking, so there's kind of a little bit of a rotation there. I think the track record of the new coach from Michigan is incredible. I mean, he, the athletes that he's been dealing with at University of Michigan, his experience up there is, is phenomenal, so he's going to bring a lot of positives to the Iowa football program. Sometimes it's good to see that, a shake-up a little bit, new fresh blood, and uh, hopefully a focus and emphasis on getting the ball to the receivers and the tight ends in the passing game. And, you know, anytime you get the ball to the tight end, that's usually a pretty good thing. So. You expect to see more impact from those changes as the season unfolds? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, obviously with Moaki being down right now, that, that hurts. But Myers, I think, the guy's pretty darn good tight end. I think he's very, very solid, runs good routes, big physical guy, uh, is an effective uh, route runner. So, I mean, I think we're pretty good at that position. And, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be nice to see the, the toughest offenses to defend are the ones that are multidimensional. They can spread the ball around to six or seven different players, get the running backs involved in the passing game. And, and you know, that's what you'd really like to see. And if, if we can do that, I think we can be effective. Any predictions on where the quarterback competition may be heading? I think wholeheartedly the decision is going to come down to whoever they feel have the best gives them the best chance to win the football game. I mean, that sounds like a simple answer, but you know, a lot of times that's you know you think about potential or but who's got a brighter future, a more upside. But it's, who gives us the best chance to win this Saturday? I think that'll be the decision. And I think the great thing about this last Saturday was the fact they're able to play a couple guys. Hopefully, they have a few more games like that where they're able to get more and more guys in the game and experience and kind to see who starts developing and who starts making the decisions uh, you know they're going to help them be most effective because you know sometimes the best decision doesn't look good on the field but is, is throwing the ball away you know and that's you know the crowds may boo on a third and seven when you know they throw the ball into the bleachers but that sometime may be the best decision that the quarterback can make and uh, you know they're going to be watching to see who what quarterback is making those types of decisions they're going to ultimately help them win the football game is that something you're more likely to see play out in practice well, I think, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's who's going to be making, you know, I mean, we talk about play perfect, you got to practice perfect. You don't win on Saturdays or Fridays, you win on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so it's it's those who are making that decision on the Monday practice, the reps on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But, you know, what we find out is some people are gamers. You know, some people don't practice well, but yet when the lights come on, they go out and they just, you know, they kind of turn into a great football player. Drew Tate would be the guy that you probably classify like that a little bit. You know, you want to see if any of that comes out, that someone maybe not be the best practice player, but yet on Saturday afternoons, you know, when there's 65,000 people there, they start doing things the right way and making big plays for their offense. So it's a combination of, you know, you want to um, put in there who you feel most comfortable with, but yet you want to, if, if on Saturday, the, the second stringer is going to be the guy that comes in and lights the fire into everybody and, and executes the offense, that's who you're going to go with. From a coaching perspective especially, what do you expect to see or like to see against Florida International? What are your keys to that game? Containing the athletes defensively, um, you know, I think that they run a pretty exciting style of offense. I'm not sure that they're, you know, I saw that their first game was against another powerhouse team, uh, so they're not going to be in awe of us, that's for sure, but yet, tough venue to come into Kinnick and play here, but, you know, just controlling the athletes, and then offensively, the thing that I would just love to see is just more big plays, more shots down the field, more go routes, touchdown type things, more toss sweeps that go for 50 yards, and, and, and those types of big plays that I know that kind of really stress a defense, put the pressure on a defense, and then ultimately can break a defense down. Any other thoughts? 
It's, uh, like I said, it's a great first start. You know, it's just a matter of continuing to build on it and, and seeing see improvement each and every week. You know, you don't want to play your first your best game the first game of the season, but yet uh, you want to be good enough to know that you're moving in the right direction and all the off-season workouts are worth it. So, I mean, it's just going to be a kind of wait-and-see process. So, I'm not sure Florida International is going to be the, going to give us any more of a clue just how good we are yet, but, you know, if we can see definite signs of improvement after Saturday's game, then we're definitely moving in the right direction. Maine goes back to work. Second and ten. They're on the 23-yard line of Iowa. Seven-nothing Hawkeyes. Motion from the right side. Farkas rolls right. Looks downfield. It's deflected in the air and intercepted. The Hawkeyes with an interception. You saw A.J. Eads deflect the pass right there. Did a nice job getting his hands up in the passing lane as Farkas rolled out. Tipped it right up in the air. Iowa Hawkeyes able to come up with the interception. Bradley Fletcher was the beneficiary of the deflection. Farkas now changes the play at the line of scrimmage. Spreads his wide receivers out a little bit wider. Landis Williams is almost at the sideline. And it's second and five. Williams in motion. Marcus drops back under pressure, and he is sacked. He threw it away, and a flag comes out. It was it was the defensive pressure from the right side by Iowa. And you could have a possible safety coming up on this play. It looked like Farkas tried to elude the defender, couldn't quite get it away. If this is an intentional grounding, it'll be a safety for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Intentional grounding, number seven offense. Penalty and then zone results in a safety. And it is two points thanks to A.J. Eads and the pressure he put on. Llewellyn's in the backfield as Farkas is throws up in the air and it's intercepted, deflected, and Pat Angerer was right there for it. And just like that, Iowa's got another chance to add points. Yet another deflected pass by the Hawkeye defensive front as the ball's batted up in the air. Waiting right there for it is Pat Angerer. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. Be among the first to make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS to express your opinions and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Pat, what were your predictions for the season before Saturday's game, and what, what did you expect to see against Maine? Right now, I have them going six and six. It doesn't really change after Saturday's game because I thought I had them winning Saturday's game, 41 to 14. They won 46 to three. I, Maine not only is a Division One AA, but they're an average one AA team. So had Iowa not been able to dominate that game, we'd have real issues. I think. One thing I liked, I liked the offensive line. They very much dominated the play up front. We rarely saw that, even against Northern Illinois last year. I know they ran the ball well against Northern Illinois, but it didn't seem like they were as dominant as they were Saturday. Other than that, though, I just think it's hard to tell. I still don't think we're going to really know a lot about this team until the Iowa State game. Positives and negatives? Positive was the running attack. The, diver the diversity among the running backs, just a lot of different skills. I think Jewel Hampton shows some explosiveness and some of that natural ability that you just can't coach. And I thought the offensive line asserted itself. I thought the defense, after maybe the first couple of net drives, got held its own and pretty much did what the defense is expected to do. The quarterbacks, to me, were average. Jake did nothing spectacular, but I didn't think Rick Stanzi did anything great either. I think they were just both kind of there, and that's an ongoing situation. And negatives? 
The biggest negative, what I would say, I think early on I was a little surprised at um, Maine's first couple of drives. They drove right down the field on Iowa's defense. I was a little surprised at Mitch King and Matt Kroll a couple of times kind of got taken out of their play early. And had they not had that interception there early, I mean, Maine was going to score. So I was a little surprised that the defense broke a little bit early. But other than that, maybe the quarterback's not being... I was maybe wanting to see the quarterbacks be a little more assertive, but there's, it's kind of hard to find a lot of negatives in a game like that. Any surprises? Not really. Well, Jewel Hampton. I mean, until you see something, you, you'd heard good things about him, but I just really liked the way he went out there. He looked explosive. I know it was the fourth quarter in mop-up duty, but I would maybe surprised that a true freshman would come in there right away and just look that comfortable. For a season opener, were you looking more to check out individual performances rather than trying to make any broad judgments about the team as a whole? Yeah, I'd say you can look at more individual things. I mean, obviously, like with Jewel Hampton, you saw some ability there. I think with Rick Stanzi, you could tell, regardless of the competition, how his, <clears throat> excuse me, how his game's different than Jake's. I, I think, but I think overall, to judge the offensive line against a competition like that, it's really misleading in some ways, because to dominate Maine is just, I mean, this was, I would say this is easily going to be their worst competition of the season. So I don't think you can really read into anything too negative or too positive. How do you feel coming out this year out of that season opener against Maine versus last year's against uh, NIU? Yes, I do because as it turns out, Northern Illinois was a horrible team last year. They finished 2-10, and ten. their coach got fired, and Iowa barely won that game. They couldn't pass the ball at all. This just seemed like if they wanted to, they could have really ran the score up on Maine, and that's what they had to do. They basically took care of business. They, they were a dominant team against a team that really had no business even being competitive with them, but they did what they had to do. If you were Kirk Ferentz, would you be fairly satisfied with this performance for an opening game? I would think so, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's never, as you're never sat, completely satisfied as a head coach. There were some breakdowns and what have you. There were some missed tackles on defense that Kirk talked about today, and that was one of the things I was talking about earlier. On those first couple of drives, they had a busted play with the defensive back letting up a big play, but you're never completely satisfied, but for the most part, no serious injuries or anything. I don't think you can really complain about too much. Let's uh, focus on offense a bit. Uh, Iowa actually scored a TD in its opening drive. I, I don't want to start reading into that yet. I mean, if this continues to go on throughout the season, then I guess you got to address it. But I let's kind of wait and see. I mean, I just think that I just think this offense is still a very slow work in progress. And I think when they get out there initially, they need to kind of warm up a little bit, kind of like a car. It starts running better after it's been going for a while. And I kind of think that's the case for the offense quarterback competition compare and contrast Jake and Rick a little bit well Stanzi's to me is your more typical drop back traditional pocket passer he's taller obviously he's right-handed as opposed to left-handed the thing with Jake Jake with his size it's just too bad he's not a better scrambler because that's the one thing where quarterbacks who are short meaning six foot or shorter they can compensate by being really good scramblers that's where Jake's not Jake doesn't seem to have that ability, whereas Stanzi doesn't need it because he can stand in the pocket. He can, he's taller. He can look at things. I think he's got better vision and what have you. I don't think he's got necessarily a stronger arm, but there's a definite. Stanzi's just your more traditional dropback passer. What'd you think of the receivers' play on Saturday? It's kind of hard to tell. The game that they didn't really have to rely on their receivers too much. I think with Brodell healthy and DJK healthy, you kind of know what you've got. I think they'll be okay as long as those guys can stay healthy. I think if they get Tony Moriaki back at tight end, that's really going to help because Brandon Myers, they'll have two really good tight ends there. So I think they got a chance to be okay at receiver. They need their third and fourth receivers to step up, though. The Sandemans and the Paul Cheneys, they need those guys to start showing some consistency. Uh, offensive clock management seemed to go uh, very 
well, especially considering those new clock rules. Kirk said it really wasn't much of a, a deal. I think it just makes you have to be a little more on, on your toes and just be a little more alert. And I think that just helps you become a more cohesive unit. Thinking back on Saturday and thinking ahead for the rest of the season, was that breakdown between running and passing? you think that was a product of the competition in this game and, and from game to game? Or do you think Ferentz really would like to have a little more running than passing? I think it's competition game to game. I think certain styles, if they find themselves being able to run the ball against teams, I think they're going to eat on that as much as they can because that's what Kirk likes to do. It chews the clock up. Uh, there's a smaller chance for error because you're not putting the ball for mistakes because you're not putting the ball up in the air and what have you. But I think Iowa would ideally always like to be a 60-40 run pass. What did you think of the defense? Other than, like I said, the first two drives, I thought they had some missed tackles, and I didn't think they really pushed, asserted their will on the line of scrimmage. Other than that, I thought they were fine. It's kind of hard to tell in this game, but there were some missed tackles that I guess you could be concerned about. Kicking game, special teams, that was pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, Jewel Hampton had a nice return, but more importantly, all their kickers made their field goals. Donahue, I don't think you have to worry about. I think he's going to be the best punter in the Big Ten before he's through. So right now, they looked okay on special teams. What's your take on the Big Ten after week one? It's hard to tell. I mean, Ohio State losing Beanie Wills with his situation up in the air, it's just hard to tell. because they. I, I still would pick Ohio State to win the Big Ten without Beanie Wills, but I don't think they would be a clear-cut choice like they are now. I think that's that's a big wait and see. And I think Michigan's down this year, so I think that can't help the Big Ten at all. Michigan is just not a typical Michigan team. So Big Ten, I think, is going to take some more knocks this year until they prove people wrong by winning some big games. Overall, it, it looks like Ferentz is going to use a fair number of true freshmen again, seven on Saturday after 11 last year. I think he would he play seven of them. He used 11 last year, and that's good as long as they keep playing. Sometimes I see these guys play early on in the year, and then they seem to fall off the face of the earth, and you never see them again. But, I mean, he's got three defensive backs in the two deep right now that are true freshmen, so that's a good sign. You don't know, though, if it points to really good recruiting or if it points to they don't have great talent among the veterans, so we'll just have to wait and see. Have you noticed maybe even discrete uh, any differences yet resulting from the changes and assignments on the coaching staff? Not really. It's hard to tell after just one game. I mean, you really can't. I, that's, I, I didn't notice the receivers doing anything different. I didn't notice the running backs running any It's still Iowa football. Would you expect to see more impact from that as the season unfolds? It's hard. I just think people are thinking like all of a sudden with Eric Campbell here that receivers are going to start making catches that they never made before. I just think you're reading into it too much. No, I, I think I think that, that stuff, the difference is what's happens in practice every day. I don't think you'll see it as much in the games. I just don't think all of a sudden because Lester Herb's the running back coach as the running backs are going to start running different. I just think it's going to be more subtle changes. What's your guess on the quarterback competition? I still think it's Jake's to lose in a big way, but it's Jake's fault for not distancing himself. Jake has this opportunity to to basically secure this job. He's already won it. Now he needs to secure it, and right now he's not doing it. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if someday Stangy got him. Against uh, Florida International this Saturday, what do you expect to see? What are your keys to that game? Keys to the game are just being able to run the ball early, dominate the line of scrimmage. I think if they can come out and win by five or six touchdowns, they've basically taken care of business in the first two games that were basically no win situations for them, really, because you expected them to win. And if they run the ball, and if the quarterbacks just don't make mistakes, I think they'll be fine. It's here. Hawkeyes Mike is for Iowa fans by Iowa fans. It's Hawk Sports Talk Radio on the internet. Your chance as a Hawkeye fan to make your voice heard on men's and women's sports. Weekly on HawkeyesMike.com.
Just a reminder that following every football game, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To have your comments included in the next show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. A new podcast should be available for listening or downloading later on Wednesdays. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by the Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodge at ui.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Looking ahead to the Florida International game, the first meeting between the two schools, this is another one of those games where Iowa should dominate, with the only realistic concern being whether some Hawks might be thinking ahead to next week to the contest against in-state rival Iowa State. FIU is being paid $700,000 to come to Kinnick, money that is very important to a new program trying to become competitive in Division I. Their football program was launched in 2002, and they began the transition to the Division I level only in 2005. FIU was beaten last week by a highly ranked Kansas team in Lawrence, 40-10. Their 2007 record was 1-12 in Mario Cristobal's first year as head coach, and the Golden Panthers are picked to finish last in the Sun Belt Conference this year. One interesting note, the 37-year-old Cristobal is the first Cuban-American head coach in Division I football history. So Iowa should win this game handily. It will be especially interesting to watch the continuing competition at three key positions, quarterback, of course, place kicker, and linebacker. And we need to watch for continued improvement in all three phases of the game. All part of God's great plan. Well, offensively, a lot of positives besides Sean Green. Jake Christensen threw the ball well. So did Ricky Stanzi. Andy Brodell was back, and the wide receiver made a difference. Daryl Johnson, Culianos, Packy O'Mara, and Jewel Hampton, the freshman from Indianapolis, made an impression. The exciting freshman from Indianapolis. I really feel like this is going to be a guy that may move into that backup running back role and possibly a thunder and lightning type of situation between him and Sean Green, the big bruiser coming in early in the game. And then you put Jewel Hampton in the contest to finish things off. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights. Nice job on the telecast. It's certainly good to see the network has now reached agreements with most major cable and satellite providers, and Big Ten fans across the country and in Iowa can now enjoy their favorite teams. Thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS, that's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeye's mic, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the show. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on Hawkeye'sMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.